There we go. Have you ever thought of how you can be looking at the same lights in the sky, in the city, and then in the country, and those same lights look vastly different? Last week, as we found ourselves in the suburbs of Chicago, our three-year-old was asking, where is the moon? Where is the stars in the night? Because the street lights and the city lights were so bright, they darkened the sky. They hid the majesty of the stars and the moon reflecting the sun's light. So we had to try and explain to her in terms that she could understand why it is that we don't typically see the lights when we're in the suburbs or in the city. Why, though in the open air, we can actually see them more clearly. You know, it's interesting, though, how the reflecting light of the city sometimes you would think might make the night sky even brighter, but it makes it significantly darker. And the same is true of Christmas and the light that has come to shine in that of Jesus Christ. As the light, true light, has entered into the world, it is darkened out by false lights. By lights we think that will brighten the day. By make things brighter for us. It gets confusing and blurred. And therefore what is so beautiful in the night sky is darkened by the false lights. And yet we know here from our time in John that the light has coming into the world the light that was there with God in the very beginning we also see this morning as we open up John 1 6 through 13 that this is the true light that was coming into the world so if you have your Bible I invite you to open up to John chapter 1 once more and we're going to be jumping in at verse 6 so John 1 6 is where we pick up this morning we've already seen that Again, this word was in the beginning. He has always existed. He is the incarnate, eternal Son. One part of the triune God. That is who is coming. That is who John is writing about. And that's where we pick up here in John 1.6. Follow along with me, if you will. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light that came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. This is the word of the Lord. But what does it have to do? What's its main point? That Jesus was the true light? Yes, but more. I think this is the main idea John 1, 6 through 13 teaches us And then if I'm doing this preaching thing rightly, will be the main point of the sermon, taking the main idea of the text, making it the main point of the sermon, and it's this. The right to become a child of God 
is given to those who believe the eyewitness testimony about the true light who has entered the world. Let me repeat that because of its significance. The right to become a child of God is given to those who believe the eyewitness testimony about the true light who has entered the world. We're going to unfold this in two points. Point number one, the sent eyewitness. And point number two, the true light. So let's look at point number one, the sent eyewitness. John's main purpose, again, as, as we looked at last week from John 20, is so that people may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That he is the one who has come to save sinners. That's John's entire point in writing this gospel account. So he, he jumps here in to John the Baptist right away pretty quickly in his introduction here. Because he's making a point to strengthen his account, his testimony that this indeed is the Son of God. So he does so through another eyewitness. There in verse 6, not just any eyewitness, but one who is sent from God. Verse 6 says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. It's not just an ordinary eyewitness that has come to help aid John in bearing witness that Jesus is the Son of God. This is one who is sent from God to declare God's message and be his messenger to prepare the way. Now we're going to see more of who John the Baptist is in, in two weeks when we get to John 1, 19 through 28. We're going to see that this John the Baptist is the one who fulfills the promise of Isaiah saying, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. That's from there in John 1, 23. John the Baptist is this messenger, one that every gospel account mentions because of his significance to prepare the way, the significance of his eyewitness account. But one thing is made clear. This is not the light. John makes clear. John the Baptist makes clear. I am not the light. We see as much there in verse 8. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. John the Baptist's work was not to be the light, but to bear witness, to, to give testimony, evidence, eyewitness account that this Jesus, he's the true light. And he was coming into the world. He was the one to be focused upon. So, so John the Baptist takes our eyes and he turns them and sets them right on Jesus saying, this is the one you need to have your eyes on. He's the one you need to see. Don't let the, the ambiguity of the night sky with all of its false lights distract you. See the true light of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. See him in all his beauty. This was John's aim. This was his purpose. It was his mission. But why does John, the beloved disciple, take us to John the Baptist? You know, here's the beauty of the four gospel accounts. Each one of these four gospel accounts is the story of an eyewitness or one who has heard the story of an eyewitness, a.k.a. the gospel of Mark. It's Peter's account of what has happened. Mark is recording what Peter has told him about this Jesus who has come. 
Each one of these Gospels, while it, it tells the story, the main point that Jesus is the Son of God who has come to save sinners, each one of them has its own identity, its own little storytelling throughout it. It's like a bunch of eyewitnesses at a, a wreck scene. You go up and, and you identify four different witnesses who saw the wreck. They're going to give you mostly the main point of the story, but one might have seen something the other didn't. One might tell a little detail the other left out or thought was insignificant. And therefore, it's the job of the police as they hear these eyewitness accounts to come and put these back together and say, okay, what actually happened here? Oh, wait, they're all telling the same story, but now we can put different pieces together and see it from different angles. That's what the Gospels do. So we already have in the four Gospels four eyewitness evidences that Jesus is the Son of God telling of this same thing. But the beloved disciple doesn't leave it to the other Gospels to tell this account, to verify this account. He brings in another eyewitness. So now there's two declaring Jesus as being the true light, the Son of God who has come into the world. And catch the significance of this. Deuteronomy 19.15 says, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. If that is so for a crime, how much more is it important multiple eyewitness accounts of one who declares that they're the son of God? Think about the astonishment that would have been going on in the, the first hearers of this gospel. They would have been thinking, there is no way Jesus is the Son of God. How dare somebody make such blasphemous claims? And yet here's John, the beloved disciple, telling of another, saying, all right, I'm not the only one. Here's the evidence of two, let alone the others that have heard and seen Here's the evidence. It's supported. It's not just my eyes. It's more. And he too does the same thing. He points to this one who is the true light. Who has come into the world. He declares, here is the true light. Here's the one to set your eyes upon. But notice what, what John is, the Baptist is doing as this other eyewitness. He's pointing to the light. Again, emphasizing that he came to witness there in verse 7. To bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light but came to bear witness about the light there in verse 8. John's not about coming to give evidence of who he is. John the Baptist doesn't need to say, this is who I am. This is what I'm done. Now he gets asked that and we'll see that again in two weeks. But John's mission... The mission of the Baptist, you know, we, the Baptist is worthy of imitating in multiple ways. He's a good immersion as good Baptist, but he's more. He's one who comes to make sure that the main focus is on Jesus. He wants us to see the light as the one he is testifying about, the one who has come, but not just any light. As readers of the Bible, we often get lost in the little details that a, a first century Jew would have caught or a new Christian who knew the Torah, the Old Testament would have caught. 
When it's talking here about the light, before John ever mentions that of Isaiah, this idea of light shining is clicking. If you know your Bible, as you think of the true light, which gives the the light that John the Baptist is giving testimony about, it's drawing your attention to Isaiah 61 through 3, which says, Arise, shine for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. You see, John the Baptist doesn't come to just give testimony, an eyewitness account about any light. He comes to give evidence and testimony to the light, the light that has come to shine, to to shine among the nations and the kings, to give brightness in the earth in the midst of darkness, a light that will never be overcome by darkness. This is the light that John the Baptist comes to give testimony of. He comes to point us to the one who is the true light and reflects the perfect character of God the Father. He comes to reflect him as creation was intended to be. Think about it. Why is Jesus the one who is the true light? Because he's the one who has perfectly obeyed the Father. Where Adam and Eve fell in the garden, and therefore every one of us after, Jesus perfectly obeys. He does not reject the Father's authority as we have. He obeys it. He stays dependent upon the Father instead of trying to be independent. Jesus is the one who comes and loves his neighbor as himself. He's the one who loves the outcast instead of us only loving those who look like us and think like us. Jesus is the one who comes to fulfill. This is why he's the true light and this is why John is saying, look at him and all his glory and see him as the true light who is coming into the world, who has now entered it. John the Baptist gives evidence of what he has seen from Jesus. He gives that eyewitness testimony that saying, look, I've seen with my own eyes, I've heard with my own ears, the accounts pointing us to Jesus as the one sent from God. And I've come to tell you about it. And the beloved disciple John records this so that now we see this account by two giving this evidence that this is the Son of God. This true light is the Son of God so that we may believe and have no reason for doubt. If he didn't have the evidence of another, John could have been said, you're just a fool. This is your word. But now his word is verified. You see the beauty of this eyewitness testimony of John who has come? He's come to point our eyes to Jesus, our hearts to Jesus, the true light who has come into the world. But not only does John the Baptist do this, John the Baptist serves as a great example for us to follow. Christian, have you ever realized, yes, John the Baptist was sent from God as a messenger? Do you realize Jesus, the King of glory, calls every one of his disciples 
Everyone who says, I am a follower of Jesus, everyone who says, I am a Christian, a Christ follower, I am sending you out into the world to be my disciples, to go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. John the Baptist is the example we need to be and live sent. Christian, we are sent from Jesus to be on mission just as John the Baptist was. We're called to go and bear witness to Jesus as the true light who has come into the world. To testify of him. To point others to him. But there's a danger too. Too often we think being a great witness means going overseas or taking thousands of mission trips around the world. For some, that might be the case. Some of us might be called to lay down our lives and, and move overseas and bear witness to Jesus. But most of us are not. Being a great witness, therefore, is not about us having to move overseas and abandon everything. Being a great witness about Jesus is being faithful in the ordinary, mundane moments of life. Being a great witness is being faithful in the ordinary and mundane moments of life. Living right where you're at and telling about the true light who has come, pointing others to him. Being faithful in inviting others to join you around the coffee table or around the kitchen table for a meal and, or coffee and talking about Jesus and who he is. Finding ways to bridge to the gospel in ordinary, everyday conversations. It's easy for us to get caught up in all sorts of mundane conversations, pointless conversations. It's very easy for us to fall in that trap. I'm as guilty as any. It's easy to get lost in conversations about sports, men. We love to talk about sports. But we need to find ways to bridge those ordinary conversations to the gospel. Trust me, if I can take knocking over a salt shaker while cleaning tables as a waiter one night and bridge to the gospel, we can take ordinary conversations and bridge to the gospel. When I knocked that salt shaker over, I had a co-worker standing next to me and says, oh, you ought to throw that salt over your shoulder. I turned and looked at him and I said, why? He said, because it brings good luck since you spilled it. I kind of looked at him funny. I said, are you serious? He's like, yeah. I said, well, I guess it's a good thing I don't believe in luck. He looked at me funny now. I had him. I ran to the gospel. I don't need luck when I trust in the sovereign God. I don't need luck when I trust that he is the one orchestrating every little detail and working it all out for my ultimate good. Why do I need to depend on luck? I rest in God who has loved me so much that he has sent his only son to die on a cross. And that he rose three days later. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father. So no, I don't need luck. You need to believe in this Jesus so that you can actually not depend upon luck, but on salvation in Christ. Do you see how easy it is to bridge the gospel? Ordinary events. You can bridge a conversation about sports even to the gospel. 
If you're talking, men, if you're talking with somebody and wanting to point them to the light, point them to those who are faithfully living out the Christian life as athletes. One of the greatest in, in my childhood was pointing to somebody like Sean Alexander. He was a great Christian testimony. He didn't stray from the faith. Find those ordinary ones we can point to and run to the gospel. But tell about the light. That's what being an eyewitness is about. Telling what Christ has come to do. How he has worked and transformed lives. How he has shown to be that true light. Pointing to him and him alone. That's what it means to be a great witness. Finding ways to bridge to the gospel in the faithful, ordinary moments of life. Right where you're at. Building relationships with those who do not know Jesus. Christian, if you're in a holy huddle, which means you don't know any unbelievers, you're doing the Christian life wrong. I know that may seem hard. But we're not called to isolate from the world. In the midst of carrying out church discipline in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 5, what does Paul write? When he's commending the church to discipline one in their midst and saying, remove them for the amount of evil in them, the fact that they had taken their stepmother to have sexual relations with, he's saying, remove them. And the Christians come back and, and say, what are we supposed to then Remove and isolate ourselves from the world? No. Judge those within to a higher standard. But do not remove yourself from the world, for you could not escape from it. We're to live the Christian life in the midst of the world, not being of the world. Being a great witness means involving ourselves in the lives of others who are not believers for the very purpose of sharing the gospel with them. That doesn't mean every conversation will turn to a gospel conversation, but it means running to the gospel, getting to the gospel. Too often we're in the danger of, as I, I heard a scholar recently comment, we're, we're in danger of not sharing too quickly, but of not sharing at all. That's the danger for us. Too many of us are like, oh, it's not the right time yet. It's not the right time. It's not the right time. When is the right time, Christian? Being a witness means being overcome with this true light and telling others of him, pointing to him and his beauty and his light. That's what being a faithful witness is all about. Let us imitate that of John the Baptist and point others to Jesus so they may see him in all of his beauty. Christian, find ways to bridge to the gospel. It's not as complicated as we make it. Our goal is to point others to the true light who has come. And that's where we turn in our next point. The true light. To marvel in what he is and what he has come to do. Verse 9. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This true light comes to shine. It says to everyone. Now we have to deal with some objections before we can actually look at the beauty of this. What does it mean that everyone comes? Why, why then are there still unbelievers? Why doesn't everyone immediately believe? 
Why doesn't the neighbor I've shared the gospel with, why does he reject it? Look at what John does in verses 10 and 11. First in verse 10. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. When it says everyone, the light was shining upon everyone, it's not saying everyone is going to believe. It's not saying that everyone's going to come to the knowledge that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. There's going to be people who reject Jesus. They're going to flat out reject him and not believe. They're not going to receive him or know him. Look at verse 11. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Jesus came to the Jews, his own people, and yet they did not even receive him. The Jews were the very ones who called for him to be crucified and go to the cross. There's a reason we still have a people called the Jewish people today, because many have rejected Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ. His own reject him. There's going to be people who do not receive Jesus, who do not believe in Jesus. Some are going to reject hostily, or in hostility to better phrase that. They're going to reject him and go up in arms of, how could you believe in this? Why am I going to believe that? But more than not, they're going to do so indifferently. Christian, friend, most of those you come across are not going to be so hostile that they flat out reject Jesus. They're going to paint it in a nicety. Oh, I actually, I believe in this, or I don't think Jesus was this, and shrug it off as indifference. But they're, one way or another, not going to accept the news that he is the true light, that he is the Son of God. Their rejection is no different than the one who raises their fist in hostility. Christian, realize people will reject the news that Jesus is the Son of God. They're going to reject that he is the light of the world who has come and entered into it. So what do we take this to mean then when it says the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world? Is it just bad news that some aren't going to believe? No, that everyone is glorious because that means Jesus is not like us. His compassion extends to everyone. His compassion extends to those who are considered the most outcast of society. It means that his compassion extends to the foreigner. It means his compassion extends to the most sinful, vile person out there. Jesus is one who does not show partiality or favoritism in how he extends his compassion. Consider the Syrophesian woman from Mark 7. Mark 7, 27 through 30 says, And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. 
Here a foreign woman comes to Jesus, asking him to cast out this demon from her daughter. Yes, Jesus questions her. Wait a minute, why Why should I help you? The Jews and, and the Gentiles didn't get along. Why, why should I help you? And her response shows her faith in Jesus. It shows that, look, I'm not worthy to come into your presence. I'm not worthy to enter your, or eat at your table. But even the dogs eat the scraps the children drop. I'm a dog. I'm asking for the leftovers. Not what belongs to the Jews. I'm asking for the leftovers. So that I may have some relief for my daughter. Her faith ends up being declared by Jesus and says, Your daughter's healed. Go, return your way. Her faith leads her to deliverance. This foreign woman, Jesus didn't cast away. Friends, brothers, sisters, when we think of the fact that this light has come and it gives light to everyone, the call isn't for us to try and figure out the everyone and, and does that mean literally every person or not? The everyone typically means when it, it's in context, this is talking about there's not a people group left. There's not a outcast group there. The outcasts are the ones who have made themselves outcast by thinking they deserve it. Jesus shows compassion to the most vulnerable in society. Why do you think the Pharisees got so wound up that Jesus would go and have dinner with sinners and tax collectors? That a woman would anoint his feet with tears and an alabaster jar of oil and anoint his feet? Because Jesus shows compassion. The Jews thought only they deserved this, which makes these verses even more startling. The Jews thought salvation belonged to only them, that they inherited salvation because of their bloodlines, that they, they didn't need to keep God's standards, at least not from the heart. Sure, maybe they fenced off in, in legalistic ways of, you know, if I do this, I get into heaven. My deeds, my will, I, I can will salvation by putting these barriers and somehow be saved. Notice what John does here, though, in verse 12 and 13. He says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. It's not by their bloodline that they're saved. It's not by one's bloodline we are saved. That means the Jews who had Jewish bloodline were not guaranteed salvation if they rejected the Messiah. That means there is no such thing as a Christian nation because no one is born in the family of God based on their nationality. No. They're not even by will they can't will themselves to obey God's law and keep it and earn salvation. They can't do it by their own power. None of these things make one saved. Christian, it's not what you do that earns you salvation. It's not who you are that brings you salvation. Notice what it says. 
But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It goes into who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of men, but of God. Who are those then that are saved? Who are those that Jesus' light has shined? Those who come to believe are born again. And they are of God and given the right to become children of God. Friend, if your conversion or your understanding of conversion does not include new birth and belief in Jesus and Jesus alone, you are not converted according to biblical Christianity. Let me repeat that. If your understanding of conversion does not include that of new birth and belief in Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation, you do not know or understand the conversion according to Scripture. The conversion that Scripture teaches us is always that of being born again and belief in Christ and Christ alone. That he is who he says he is. And coming to acknowledge that and to obey him and to follow him. Now John goes on, the beloved disciple goes on to unfold this more in chapter 3 as we'll get to in a few months. When we get to John 3, we're going to see the story of Nicodemus and Jesus meeting in the darkness of night. Where Jesus tells Nicodemus one must be born again to be saved. In the midst of the infamous John 3.16, for, so, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, belief, and born again are being put together. They go hand in hand. They are essential. And this is the work of God. God draws people to himself in that belief in new birth through the power of his word and the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why being a witness is so important. Do you realize that? There, there's this phrase, and, and it's an abomination where it comes from. It, it, it should not be uttered off the Christian tongue that, oh, people by just watching us will see our faith and come to believe in it. Really? Think about that. Think about that and, and follow why I say this is abomination. How are they to believe that Jesus alone is the Son of God unless somebody tells them? How are they to believe and to know that the only way to salvation is through Jesus and Jesus alone? They're not going to get that by, by just watching your life. Now, watching and seeing evidence of a, a born-again believer, that will give evidence to you actually practice what you believe. But it will not save them. They must hear with their own ears. And be cut to the heart through the message of the gospel, through the message of the word. Always, it is God's word that brings about new life. The proclamation of it. That's why God sent his prophets into the world. That's why he sent his son, the true light, to shine brightly into the world. To declare who God is and to reveal him most fully. So that people could come to know God. And understand what it means to believe. This is what the true light does, Christian. And it gives us the right. When we believe that Jesus is the true light. 
When we come to this understanding, when, when the gospel and the spirit work within us, it creates this new birth. And it brings us to be adopted in the family of God. Where we're taken from being orphans and made children of the living God. He takes us. He rescues us. The very ones who have rejected his authority. His right to being king. And he saves us through our belief in Jesus. Christian. Do you see what beauty this is? Do you see what beauty salvation brings? It's the only thing that rescues those who are abandoned. Those who have gone astray and spat in the face of their creator and finds a way to restore them. To make them new again. This is what salvation brings. This is what the true light offers us. The question for us, Christian, is will we continue to rest in this and this alone for salvation? And if you're here and you don't understand this plan of salvation, if you don't understand this conversion truth, why are you going to continue to reject it? Won't you come to believe that Jesus is the Son of God? As two eyewitness accounts tell that he is the light who has come, to shine in the darkness? Will you accept that he is the one who died and rose again to bring salvation? Rest in that. Believe in that today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.